Welcome to Race and Democracy, a podcast on the intersection between race, democracy, public policy, social justice, and citizenship. Okay, on today's program, I'm very pleased to welcome Esteban Delgado, who's the Director of Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at the LBJ School of Public Affairs, one of my colleagues. Esteban, welcome to Race and Democracy. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Joseph. I'm so thankful and glad to be here today. Now, you know, um, you are an LBJ alum, proud LBJ alum, class of 2018, and you previously managed the Hispanic Impact Fund, uh, which is a signature program of the Austin Community Foundation, um, which is a philanthropic initiative charged with advancing Latino futures across Central uh, Texas, um, and you help raise just basically a bunch of money and resources <laughs> for the Hispanic Impact Fund. And you're currently on the leadership committee for Abla y Vota Action Fund, um, the Todos Juntos Learning Center Board of Directors, and the executive committee for the Association of Rice Alumni Board of Directors. In addition to the bachelor's degree from Rice and LBJ Masters in Public Affairs, you've been really a key leader in venture philanthropy and social justice. So uh, tell us about your background and how you got interested in social justice. Definitely. You know, so I, um, my, you know, my, my family, my, my parents, they're, we have roots in Texas and, um, you know, my, uh, my grandparents were migrant workers and they ended up in the Midwest and, my my parents they actually ended up in Tennessee and so I, I grew up in Tennessee I grew up away um, from any other Latinos essentially and I, I grew up you know in a in a very kind of white environment and uh, not really kind of knowing what it was like to grow up around a lot of other people of color and um, and it was a really interesting I think to grow up in the deep south and to kind of be constantly told what you can and can't do because of the color of your skin. And I think that had a lot of lasting impact on me and my trajectory from a very young age. You know, I, I think was consistently told from a time when I was very young that, you know, I wasn't going to amount to very much because of, um, you know, the color of my skin and, 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 you know, my, my racial background and, when it was time to, you know, go off to college, um, I wanted to know what it would be like to be around other people that look like me and other people that were darker than me. And so I chose to, to come back to where my roots were. I chose to come back to Texas. And it was one of the best things I could have done, you know, for myself and for my learning. Um, I, I was able to go to Rice in Houston. And, and being in Houston, one of the most... I guess now the most diverse city in the nation. Um, it was a great learning experience because here I was um, being able to soak in so much and to be able to learn that being smart or being able to accomplish things wasn't tied to racial identity, right? And that was that was monumental for me because this was something that was ingrained in my psyche from a very young age because of where I grew up, um, because of who I was surrounded by, because of what I was being taught 
in in my school system. And, um, and when you think about Rice, your your class of um, what what year did you graduate from Rice? I graduated in 2013. Class of 2013, and Rice is just about to have their first um, black president, who's also of Haitian descent, uh, Reginald uh, Dewoosh. How how was Rice vis-a-vis diversity? So that means you you were there during the first term of Barack Obama. How was how was being a Latino at Rice during that time period? Definitely, you know, it was an interesting time because Rice um, had just uh, entered a period where we had no ethnic majority on campus, and while we were really excited to. Um, you know, have more women than men on campus, to have no ethnic majority, to be truly this melting pot. We really weren't talking about the effects of um, our our racial history yet, right? Um, you know, in the Rice Charter, um, you know, Rice University was, was able to come to fruition as a university because of William Marsh's Rice's, um, um, you know, um, uh, whole, he, you know, he was a, a slaveholder, and he made his his millions uh, as a uh, uh, you know a textilist, you know, and so he actually had in his charter that um, uh, that black and brown people couldn't attend the university, and so we hadn't yet grappled with um, that history yet. We weren't learning that history. I had no idea that any of this existed about our founder yet, um, and so. It's only now, right, that after, um, you know, the uh, the Black Lives Matter movement of, you know, the, the 2020 year that we, I think, are actually really kind of taking a hard look at our history. And we're saying, yes, these are all amazing things that exist about rice in a... In a, in a multicultural city, right? But at the same time, it's really important that we that we know about our history, that we that we and that we find a way forward so that we can really recenter ourselves as a as a community. And so this is a great segue into talking about what we're doing together, um, justice, equity, uh, diversity, and inclusion, um, which is a new office at the LBJ School of Public Affairs that is committed to trying to transform the school's composition, curriculum, culture, and community engagement um, by leading with justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um, you know, what are your, what's your vision for the role as, uh, your role as director of JEDI? You just started uh, in January of 2022, this year, and- Definitely. There's already been so much accomplished, including a visit from Mayor Sylvester Turner of Houston and um, Dr. Colette Pierce Burnett just received the first Barbara Jordan Public Service Award. And we had Rudy Mater, who's executive director of the Texas Black Legislative Caucus Foundation and Brincia Berry, uh, who works for the DNC in terms of diversity and inclusion and a former LBJ alum. So what are your, you know, some of your goals um, for Jedi at the LBJ school. Um, and how does that connect with both the 40 acres and trying to transform what's happening in the 40 acres across the 40 acres, but community engagement in Austin in the state of Texas? Well, I love this question. I think this is a great question because, um, as a 
public research university in Texas, right? I think our goal really should be to see how can we transform, um, you know, the composition of what uh, public service could really look like, um, not only in the state of Texas, but nationally. Um, if you look at um, how we're moving forward in kind of the civic engagement space uh, at a national level, we have so many amazing you know, people, I think, going for change. But a lot of the times it's built on the back of, um, you know, Black and brown people really doing the transformational work um, on the ground level. And what I consistently want to be able to do is how to think about how can we really create an environment where we are educating and giving people um, that have historically been kept out of leadership positions in public policy, right? How can we give them that springboard to not just be, um, you know, the behind the scenes workers, right? But how can we truly be the leaders in all of these spaces? And that's what I love about what Jedi is doing at the LBJ school. We are truly thinking about how do we really provide this springboard so that we can, transform the composition of what public policies, civic engagement, uh, and the future of leadership is going to look like in public affairs and public policy moving forward. Um, in terms of how we're going to do this, you know, it really is, I think, all what you just said and and, and so much more. We, um, I think, really have a duty to, to kind of think about um, how have we been teaching uh, our students and providing an ecosystem and and what is it that we need to tweak about this ecosystem long term um, and you know you know one thing I want to um, ask you Esteban is why is it important to think about these issues vis-a-vis a, a policy school for in mm-hmm. all those four areas just however you want to we can start and we'll we'll take breaks but curriculum composition, um, culture, community engagement. Why is it important? Because you're working for the, um, you know, the Hispanic Fund, and and you know you you've done these initiatives. But why is it important at a school we're top top seven, top ten public policy school? Why is it so important in terms of research, uh, public service, leadership, impact? Why is it so important? Definitely. Well, I mean, I think we're really. Just- we are at the center of the conversation and we have an opportunity to shape not only the conversation, but how do these things take root and really uh, take flight moving forward? I mean, if we, if we look at the composition of our school, it's an opportunity to say, um, yes, we recognize that um, certain students, right. Have not had access, right. Um, either into, um, the walls of these types of institutions or certain students haven't had access to certain types of funding really to make uh, their types of um, uh, learning experiences at public policy schools, um, you know, um, the easiest possible, right? To be able to soak in all what they need to, to be able to go out and really be those transformational leaders, right? There's so much to demystify, right? In the higher education experience, especially if you are a student of color or a first generation student or a student that is an immigrant or a dreamer or an international student, right? Um, 
there's so much knowledge, right, that that sometimes we don't have or that we take for granted that if you are a student that's come from a background where these things are uh, second nature, right, that are just passed down when it's common occurrence that you're able to go to a graduate level institution, right? How can we make that easy for students so that it's not another layer of, um, of a, of a fight of a struggle that they're also having to go up against. And, and even so it's, it's helping students find belonging in that ecosystem. You know, if we look at also, if we're also talking about the composition of public policy and public affairs schools, and we're thinking about who students are learning from ensuring that students have the cultural competency to learn from, right. Those that look like them in these spaces, right. Um, ensuring that, they can come into a classroom and see people that look like them, that are leading the research, that are leading the teaching, that are leading the policy reform, to know that there's a space for them in this field, I think can truly be transformational. Because I, I as somebody who right, grew up in the Deep South and didn't meet someone with a PhD who looked like me until I went off to an undergraduate institution, right? A top 20 undergraduate institution. Um, it signals, right, that so much can be possible, right? Not only with a, a top tier degree, but also just with the amazing network that these institutions can provide for you. Um, we talked about, um, you know, I think you just were talking about how representation matters. And I think that's really important. What, what are what are the, um, you know, challenges and opportunities vis-a-vis of representation at this moment, especially when we think about what happened two years ago, which impacted all of us in the context of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Um, What are some of the the challenges and opportunities of representation, especially in the space of higher education, especially at a policy school, which is so impacted to um, leadership, but also philanthropy, um, also administration, um, also for-profit and non-profit. So I, I kind of feel like a policy school mm. um, truly is the hub of everything, you know, business, law, um, policy, uh, entrepreneurship, um, elected officials, so politics on a multi-scaffolding, multi-scaled way, um, international affairs, uh, global policy, so what are some of the challenges and opportunities? Because certainly representation matters and our school doesn't have enough diverse representation. And I'm thinking very broadly, including including our folks who are um, queer, who are trans um, and, you know, uh, BIPOC, Black, Indigenous people of color as well. Definitely. Well, I think that some of the challenges that exist at public policy schools in terms of getting representation to a point where it can really take hold and that everyone can benefit from it um, exists in a couple different ways. Um, I think one of them is that I think sometimes people are fighting for which narrative is going to Overcome, and when I say that, I, I mean that um, not everyone uh, is is um, is working off the uh, is working off the same perspective. Some people are coming off of things off of a very 
analytical mindset, right? So they're wondering, okay, if we make really big changes, changes given everything that's happened, what is going to be perceived of us, right? And then other people in the landscape are saying, um, well, given everything that's happened over the last two, three years, we have to make these changes. You know, we have to, you know, make these changes right now because um, if not now, when, right? And so as we as we come at these challenges from very different um, mindsets, um, sometimes it's really hard to kind of sync up and to see eye to eye. And so it, talk, it takes a lot of education, it takes a lot of education, a lot of conversations for us to be to offer our colleagues um, and those that we're in collaboration with on ramps to figure out how we're going to work together. How are we going to offer solutions um, so that we can really uh, move together in a um, in a way that is uh, collaborative? Um, because um, we always don't uh, see eye to eye on what is going to be that that one way forward. Um, you know, there are some schools in. Um, in the public policy space that are doing amazing things. You know, one of the things I know that you and I talk about is uh, how the Harvard Kennedy school, you know, they are moving forward and ensuring that every, um, you know, public policy student, public affairs student that goes through their program is, is taking a, uh, is taking a course on race and public policy, you know, and thinking about, you know, how might we, we be able to potentially in the future bring something like this to, you know, the, the, the LBJ school um, and what would be needed, right. To be able to do something like this, um, you know, uh, you know, how would we bring this type of initiative, right. To, to our institution and, and who would we need to be able to, um, to talk to, right. To, um, to be able to, uh, to really kind of engage in discussion to bring this to fruition. Um, well, yeah, I, and let's let's get. I want to harp in on that and get down in the weeds on that. I mean, part of what's um, lacking not only at the LBJ school but policy schools in general. Um, Harvard, the Kennedy School, after George Floyd, has now instituted this this mandatory race and policy course. Um, you know, let's talk about that. Why? Why? You know. You know, you didn't have to take one during your two years uh, at the LBJ school. Um, you know, I think that absolutely impoverishes students because they're not able to understand um, the impact of policy decisions, both explicitly and implicitly, on communities of color, on poor communities, on on trans and queer communities, indigenous communities. Um, why do you think that has been such a blind spot in terms of policy schools, whereas obviously we know that there's uh, Latinx studies and Mexican-American studies, even right here at UT, there's Black studies, there's women's studies, um, you know, queer studies is its own very well-respected field, ethnic studies is a respected field. Why do you think um, we, we we sort of try to arm uh our students with two years of knowledge and they never ever have to think about race or intersectionality ever, ever, ever. Um, is that just sort of at the root of sort of a public policy schools, how they were first envisioned maybe in this, in, in, in decades, in previous decades? What, what is that? Mm. I mean, I think this is a really, this is a really great question. I think at its, at its core, 
um, we've always been taught that we stay out of politics, right? That we dig into policy, but that we stay out of politics. Um, I would say in another sense, um, you know, even though we are trying to work in the best interests of the people, there is still a pervasive sense of, um, you know, uh, anti-Blackness that that sits um, in our nation. And we really have to do education to get over this, you know, and I'm not saying that, um, you know, that everyone is is anti-Black, but there is an underlying sense of, you know, of this because sometimes we don't want to go after those things that are truly transformational, right? When we want to make decisions. And so um, it, it does kind of take someone to go and, and put a stake in the sand and say that we're going to do this um, if we are truly going to be transformational in the way and, and, and unconventional in the way that we teach public policy. I also think um, that um, I also think that if we if we really listen to our students, you know, we you and I we we've been on a listening campaign with the students at the LBJ school, and I think that there's another really interesting point um, to be made about why this type of curriculum is needed, and and that is um, sometimes students don't feel like we're always um, playing off the same um, base level of knowledge, right? Uh, students believe that sometimes they come to an institution, even when they're in their other classes, if the data and what they're studying is pointing that out that, you know, systemic racism exists, and that is the conclusion that they come up with after, you know, doing a, um, doing a, a research paper or after doing a, um, uh, yeah, a PRP, a policy research project or a data model, and they, you know, explicitly state that, that then sometimes um, people get, you know, feel weird about it and they want to back away. And what they're really looking for is this opportunity for all of us to, you know, to convene in the early days of collaborating and working together as students, as faculty, as staff to say, hey, we recognize that this exists in our field that these are things that we're going to have to talk about um, and that we're not going to shy away from this just because we feel uncomfortable, right? But we're actually going to convene and talk about these issues because this is at the forefront of our field right now. And we know that in order to make change and how our system works, we have to be able to talk about this. We have to be able to call what's happening in our country right now for what it is. No, beautiful. I, I want to now shift to community engagement in the sense of, you know, part of um, our mission, both at, at, at Jedi and the LBJ School, is um, research and policy and sort of putting research and policy at the forefront. Um, but community engagement and impact is connected to that. And obviously, you've done a lot of community engagement work in terms of fundraising. Um, and and building networks. Uh, what's the role of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion in terms of community engagement? And how does that um, create a feedback loop for curriculum, for culture, for composition as well? You know, so I wanted to talk to you about that. And both 
you know, both within the context of the LBJ school and the 40 acres, but nationally, because we've seen so many different efforts, both corporate, public-private partnerships, elected leaders, states and city councils, talk about things like reparations, talk about things like um, what happened to settlements, uh, land of indigenous people, Uh, talk about everything from water policy and uh, school desegregation and climate change and try to think about community enhancement and really try to lead with equity, right? Uh, Whether we're thinking about reparations or reimagining public safety, um, so many different things, transportation policy, housing policy. So let's discuss the community engagement impact. And uh, paradoxically, it requires raising a lot of resources, but it's not just raising resources, it's also relationships and building these relationships. And what I think are the coalitions we need in Texas, because there's such a big brown, black, um, you know, Asian American, Pacific Islander, indigenous, white community here. Definitely. I mean, I think this goes back at its core to we don't work in silos, you know, and we don't work in silos. And I think also what we are doing at the LBJ school shouldn't be looked at in, in, in its context as only, you know, um, preparational work, right? We are doing very high quality um, transformational work in itself, you know, with um, everyone that steps through the doors at the LBJ school. You know, we might be a institution of higher learning, but a lot of what we're producing, you know, with our students has lasting and long-term effects. And given the opportunity to collaborate with those in the field, right, we could really um, produce so much more and actually really help um, springboard so many other efforts. You know, there's, um, you know, one of the, one of the foundational signature um, programs of the, of the LBJ school centers around our, our PRP, our, our, our policy research project in which, um, in which organizations from outside the LBJ school external external stakeholders come to us and say, "Hey, we have an issue that we're trying to solve. Can we, you know, get some of the brightest minds at the LBJ school to actually work on this and figure out is there a way to move forward?" And these aren't just, you know, um, organizations in Austin, but these, you know, as you were mentioning, these are organizations nationally. These are organizations, you know, globally that are looking to come and tap into, you know, the diverse minds of our students to help them figure out a path forward. Um, And I think what's really uh, apparent to us in how we move forward is figuring out how can we, you know, team up with organizations and stakeholders that are working on, you know, these multifaceted issues that are affecting um, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, you know, in this ecosystem right now so that we can really prepare our students interested in working in this space for, you know, the work that they're going to be doing um, after the LBJ school. There are are so many real world applicable opportunities um, that um, that I'm really excited to see. You know how these uh, these um, 
you know, opportunities that you and I are working on getting started, you know, moving forward. And uh, I don't want to um, put anything out into the into the world that we're not ready to announce yet. But if I don't know if, if, if you want to uh, talk about any of these. Um, yes, you know, I, I'd love to talk about the Strengthening Democracy uh, initiative and, and the, the speaker series, because we live in the state of Texas, um, Devin, and we are really under assault when we think about free speech, these assaults on critical race theory, uh, rumblings about um, eliminating tenure here. Uh, there's a real chill happening and a backlash against um, the freedoms that were very much aspirational and in the air in 2020 in the context of the pandemic and Black Lives Matter. Um, but ever since we've seen January 6th of 2021 and the assault on the U.S. Capitol, that's really been followed by real efforts to suppress voting rights, but also real efforts to chill the teaching of Black history, the anti-1619 project, all under the rubric of critical race theory, anti-critical race theory. Um, for, for those our listeners, you know, critical race theory is actually something that's taught at, at law schools, elite law schools, that just bas- basically makes the argument that uh, race is a a constitutive or central element to the history of law and lawmaking in the United States. So it's really, uh, you know, quite readily apparent. It's not controversial. Nobody in K through 12 has ever taught that because it's, it's way past uh, their pay grade. But now anything, if you teach about the Holocaust, if you teach about um, the fact that Mexican Americans were lynched by the Texas Rangers habitually, and all you have to do is read Monica Munoz Martinez is brilliant. Um, the injustice never leaves you to get the detailed archive on that. Um, you know, the lynching of black people, uh, racial segregation, somehow teaching that has become unpatriotic. And uh, there's all these efforts to censor that, you know, over 30 states have passed that. And with strengthening democracy, we're interested in advocating civil dialogues from multiple perspectives. So I'd love to discuss the way in which we're trying to combat um, these assaults on academic freedom and really critical thinking in the world's um, most important democracy. Definitely. You know, I think, I mean, this is the big thing that we don't really talk to each other, right? In in today's world, we, we, we talk at each other or we argue <laughs> with each other. And even if we are on the same side of the aisle sometimes, right? Like we, um, that we have so many differing views that um, we we tend to just write each other off and we don't engage in meaningful debates or dialogue to help us understand why do we look at um, things the way that we do and what might be commonalities or common points for us to be able to move forward. Um, and this right doesn't mean that we give... Um, abhorrent views, right? A platform. This just means that we give, um, you know, uh, we give opposing the opposing viewpoint, you know, that is, um, within reason, right. An opportunity, uh, for engagement, right. Because if, if we've learned anything from, um, our, our mentors that we, we, we hold so dear at the LBJ school, you know, people like, um, the late Congresswoman Barbara Jordan, it's that in order to uphold the common good, right, we have to work together, right? Because the more polarized that we get, the less opportunity there will ever be for a path forward. And so um, 
I'm so glad that, you know, you've had the foresight to be able to ideate this opportunity for strengthening democracy, because I think we've already seen it um, have such a profound effect at our institution, you know, even within talking about, um, you know, voting rights, um, you know, we've been able to kind of think about, you know, how are we going to be able to move forward given everything that's been happening um, within the landscape of Texas? And we have so many more amazing, um, you know, conversations slated. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, f- you know, for our, 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 our audience to, to engage and, and, and um, these will be readily available for everyone to view, not only on the LBJ School, you know, website, YouTube, but you can also attend by, um, um, by uh, you know, uh, registering to our, our our listserv as well. Well, my my final uh, question for you is about culture. Um, what kind of culture do you hope uh, to be able to create, both at the LBJ School, but also across the forty acres? The city of Austin is one of the fastest growing cities in the country, producing great amounts of wealth, but there's also great inequality and segregation here. So when we lead with um, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, what kind of culture are you hoping to build um, here? You know, I'm really excited for us to build a culture where justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion isn't just limited to you know, the work and initiatives that, that we are doing, you, we have so many big ideas and I'm really excited to, to see how we, um, collaborate with all of our, you know, colleagues, both, you know, internally at the school and externally at the, um, at the, um, across, you know, across the 40 acres, you know, we, we had our, you know, first school-wide diversity, equity, and inclusion meeting with our with our committee this past week, and it was so heartening to hear that so many of our um, of our faculty already see the work that they're doing as social justice work or as diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And I think what a lot of people are looking for is an opportunity to. Um, give that work a platform and to come together in collaboration, you know, to, to be able to ideate together. Um, and I think what we can really afford our community is that place and space to be able to do that together, to be able to build traction together, to be able to, um, to get to that critical mass so that students really feel that their LBJ experience or that ex- their experience at the University of Texas um, coalesces around these ideas, right? Around social justice, around um, diversity, equity, inclusion, around belonging, right? And it's not just then something that we talk about, but then it's really truly something um, that is ingrained in the experience. And I already see it taking root, you know, through um, the event series that we are deploying through the conversations that we're having with students, faculty, and staff, through the changes that we are going to be making to um, orientation and how we're recruiting students and how we are presenting the LBJ experience um, and how we are meaningfully engaging with students around the work they do with the university. Um, 
it really makes me really excited to see where we're going to be going from here. Because with each incremental step that we take, that's one more step towards ensuring that we're transforming the work that we're doing, transforming the university, and really ingraining this work into um, the identity, um, not only of the culture, but of the cascading work that we do, not only at the LBJ school, um, but across the student experience. And finally, how are you feeling about this period? Are you hopeful, optimistic? Like, what, what is your, what do you leave us with? I'm very hopeful. I'm excited. You know, it's not every day that you get to come to a school and build something anew. Um, and it's not every day that you get amazing collaborators. Um, you know, I get to show up every day and, um, and work with you and get to work with the, the CSRD staff and get to work with amazing professors um, to really kind of think about how are we going to move this forward? Um, what alumni are we going to bring into the fold? Who do we want to invite from across, you know, the globe to, to um, put in front of our students to move this conversation forward? I mean, really, um, the world is our, our oyster at this point, and we have, um, you know, nothing but opportunity to really shape what we want this experience to look like. And, um, you know, I pride myself on being a lifelong learner, um, and and definitely we have the opportunity to learn from other institutions and other departments on how they've done this in the past. But I'm also really excited because I think we have an opportunity to do this in a way that's truly LBJ and truly specific to how we want to see this work take hold in the public policy space. And to my knowledge, we are taking a really comprehensive view on how we want to move this forward. And, you know, that really makes me excited on how we are going to be able to ensure that we entrench this into not only our identity, but how um, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion is practiced, uh, not only at LBJ, but, but in public policy, you know, moving forward you know, for the next generation. All right. Thank you. That's a great way to, to end our, our great conversation. We've been dialoguing with Esteban Delgado, who is the Director of Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at the LBJ School of Public Affairs. He previously managed the Hispanic Impact Fund, um, a signature program out of Austin Community Foundation. Um, he is a graduate of both Rice University and has a Master's of Public Affairs from the LBJ School. And he currently sits on a number of leadership boards, including Abla y Vota Action Fund, the Todos Juntos Learning Center Board of Directors, and the Executive Committee for the Association of Rice Alumni. Uh, so thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, to be working with you. Thanks for listening to this episode. And you can check out related content on Twitter at Peniel Joseph. That's P-E-N-I-E-L-J-O-S-E-P-H. And our website, csrd.lbj.utexas.edu. 
and the Center for Study of Race and Democracy is on Facebook as well. This podcast was recorded at the Liberal Arts Development Studio at the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you. Thank you.